This is episode number 872 with John Dornboss. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Nelson Mandela said, when a deep injury is done to us, we never heal until we forgive. This is probably one of the most inspiring stories of someone that I've connected with and interviewed on how they overcame extreme trauma and came out the other side to become one of the most beautiful human beings and do great things with their life. If you don't know who John Dornboss is, he's a former NFL football player, elite magician, speaker, and author. And when John was 12 years old, his father murdered his mother in the family's three-car garage. He discovered an escape by performing magic tricks. And football then provided a release for all of his pent-up anger. Together, magic and football saved his life, leading to 14 NFL seasons and amazing sleight-of-hand performances to packed houses across the globe. And in the NFL, John played for the Buffalo Bills, Tennessee Titans, and the Philadelphia Eagles. He holds the record for the most consecutive games in Eagles franchise history and earned two Pro Bowl appearances and a Super Bowl ring. As a magician, John was a finalist on America's Got Talent and regularly appears on The Ellen DeGeneres Show. His new book, Life is Magic, draws a roadmap for how to shut the voice up by choosing happiness, and it's out right now. And I want to give a warning to our listeners This is a warning that this episode contains some explicit stories of domestic violence and criminal activity, and the details may make some listeners extremely uncomfortable. So if that is something that you believe will make you feel uncomfortable, please be aware. Feel free to put this on pause or don't listen to this if you feel like this will affect you in a traumatic way. But... In this episode, it's extremely powerful, the story he shares. And John talks about how he transforms negative experiences into motivation for life. He talks about forgiveness, forgiving his father for what he did and the profound impact it has had on his life. The biggest lessons he learned from his father and how he will pass it on to his own daughter how John got his coaches and mentors to believe in him by consistently showing up, the power of accepting reality as it is, and how needing open-heart surgery actually brought that all home for John. Again, he's got a crazy story, and he's one of the most inspiring guys that I've met. So make sure to share this with a friend that you think it would be inspiring to. Pay this forward. Be a hero and a champion in someone's life. By connecting with them and send them this link, lewishouse.com slash 872. 
Your spring is about to get a lot more powerful with the Home Depot. Get gas-like power for mowing, trimming, and blowing with the Ryobi 18-volt 1 Plus system. Starting at just $89, mowing power that can take on a third of an acre with one charge, trimming power with up to two hours of runtime, and blower power with 110 miles per hour of clearing force, all on one interchangeable battery. Get the cordless gas-like power for the entire lawn with the Ryobi 18-volt 1 Plus system, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And there are no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. So many of us love coffee, like the living for it type of love. Some like it hot, some like it iced with a splash of creamer, and some like it with a cold foam topping. Many of us stop into coffee shops on our way to work more often than we'd like to admit. But now, thanks to International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, you can make cold foam coffee at home, or in my team's case, in the office, and it's a game changer. I was just chatting with a teammate of mine about our love for the occasional sweet treat coffee. Sometimes, it's just the thing you need as a pick-me-up on a busy day and we just stocked our office fridge with international delight cold foam creamer and it never misses the team's favorite flavor so far is the caramel macchiato you just shake the canister and spray it into your coffee and voila you've got an incredible cold foam coffee no frothing fancy machines or mess required international delight cold foam creamer foams and creams your coffee from top to bottom the best part it works on both hot and iced coffee it comes in three foaming delicious flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato. So you can switch things up depending on your mood. Look for your favorite flavor next time you're at your grocery store and be prepared to say goodbye to your barista. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. It's foaming delicious. And I'm so excited about this episode. I really hope you get a lot of value out of this. Please share with your friends and let me know what you think when you're going through this episode. Let me introduce to you the inspiring John Dornboss. I want to be a rock star. Right? Mm-hmm. Problem is I can't sing, I can't dance, and I can't play an yeah. instrument. So, yeah. uh, and is a good way to go. Well, you know what? When I was a kid, when I was 14, I saw Bill Malone on TV. Uh-huh. He was a card guy. Uh-huh. So I didn't see Stevie Ray Vaughan. I didn't see Hendrix. I didn't see you know, Clapton. I didn't see these guitar guys. I yeah. saw a card guy. Yeah. So I, I learned that, the, the, that cards, if you will, are... are my guitar and yeah. the words and the trick of the ballad. Sure, sure. So I did that piece. She liked it. I went and did her show, and then she hit me up right away and she's like, "Yo, when can you come back?" Alan said this. Yeah. yeah. And now I don't, I don't think she realizes, but at the time I was playing in the NFL, which she knew. But like, this is expensive. Like, I, I took a jet because I was like, I had to get there mm-hmm. and get back. But I'm like, it's Ellen. I'll just fork up the cash. Fair and so enough. I flew back the same day, so I wouldn't miss practice the next day, right? Wow. So she's like, Well, you did America's Got Talent, and you're still. In the NFL then. Yeah. So so when we did the lives, I was in training camp. Mm. So I was literally going back and forth sometimes daily. Like that day. No way, man. I was doing, at times, three, four round trips a week. 
I never missed a practice. Wow. Never miss, I missed one team meeting that I got excused because there was a bombing threat at LAX and they shut down my red eye. Oh my and gosh. I was like, no. So basically what I would do is I'd go to practice. And, and the only way this worked is I'm a long snapper. Yeah, right? if I you had so any other position, no, maybe a punter, maybe. Yeah, okay. But like quarterback, receiver. No if, way. If I was actually an athlete, <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't right, work. right, right. And so I would go, we'd start at eight and I would go all the way to about five o'clock. Uh, Here. I'm sorry, in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, 8 a.m. to 5. Yeah, so my training camp day, 8 a.m. to like 5. And then there were other guys, like the position meetings would go to like 8. All right, so I'm done at 5. Rushed to LAX. I got on the 6 o'clock American to LA. I would land, do an hour or two, a B-roll interview, whatever I had to do, to then take the 10.15 or 10.30 red-eye back to Philly to land at 7.15 to make my 8 to go back, to go back. No way, man. It was sick. So you would do like two, three hours and then fly back? Yeah, whatever I had to do. Like if they needed something, I just got on that flight and I, I jammed. Would you fly to LAX or Burbank? I probably should have flown into Burbank. It's right there, right? Yeah, yeah, but the red eye is out of LAX. Oh my gosh. And there was no traffic at the time, so just, you know. So you would get in at like, what, eight o'clock? Yeah, whatever it was, and I'd literally Same. have two hours. Shut up. I want to have two hours to just be as efficient as possible at times. Wow. You know, it was, looking back, it was probably one of the coolest times of my life. Most hectic. And then, like I said, Play when football, I football, being on America's Got Talent. Well, okay, so imagine- Doing Ellen. Yeah, imagine being a kid, and, and all you want to do is be a professional athlete, and I wanted to be an awesome rock magician. Star. I wanted yeah. to be a rock star, right? And it, but I wanted to be a rock star in the magic world. And so at this time in my life, I was playing in the NFL. My career not only requires me to travel, but also gives me the freedom to. Traveling has brought me so many positive experiences and memories. Like that time I spent the holidays at an Airbnb in Big Bear with some of my extended family, and it was the perfect way to come together and connect with my family that I don't see that often. If you have a similar setup that allows you to travel often, have you ever thought about your empty home while you're gone? More specifically, how you can make some extra money by keeping your home occupied while you're out of town. I'm a big advocate for setting up a side hustle to give you an extra stream of income and Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine, but there are some people out there who've never even realized their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which is crazy to think about because that means they have been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while clearly a lot of things have changed since 1877, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker oats. I mean, I think we all grew up with Quaker in our household. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different flavors and varieties, one of my faves for a quick breakfast. And whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber, Quaker Oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even Quaker Fruit Fusion with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats in your local grocery store. Isn't it obnoxious when companies have those sneaky gotchas? hiding deep in the fine print or bills that seem to go up for no dang reason? Like when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying even more than you would have elsewhere? At Metro by T-Mobile, there's nada yada yada. 
That means no contracts, no price hikes, no surprises. They don't even want me to speed through the legal, so here it is. When they say no price hikes when you join, they mean your price will never increase for talk, text, and smartphone data plans. Their only exclusions are for limited time promos, per-use charges, and third-party services. I guess that really is nada yada yada. At Metro by T-Mobile. Nada yada yada. Performing on arguably, arguably the biggest show. stage, biggest crazy, show man. in the world. It's crazy. Both professions that I love were, were like eye to eye That's crazy, on the top man. levels. It was insane. You know, my advantage to doing that show is I didn't have time to overthink it. Mm. Like, I didn't have time. So, like, I basically. You were like weeks of preparation. You were like, all right, what's the trick going to be tomorrow? Yeah. Let me figure this out. And- hey, guys, I got to go play the Browns tomorrow. All right. <laughs> hey, we're, we're playing Green Bay. So, here's what I'm going to do I came up with this. This is what I'm doing. Right. I'll see you in two weeks. Wow. You know, and, uh, it was crazy. And then, I, you know, I remember when the whole thing was done, we had two days off. I think we played like a Thursday night game. And then we were off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I literally slept for like three days. Oh, my gosh. I just caught up because I'd just been, you know, grinding. You probably couldn't be nervous because you were just tired. You were just like, all right, I'm just going to do the trick. And well, you know, it, 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 it's interesting that you say that. And, and, you know, as a professional athlete and a performer, that's probably the number one question you get asked. Like, aren't you nervous? Mm-hmm. But the reality is it comes to this. What, what sports have taught me in my life is preparation, process prepare, right? And what I've learned is that if you're prepared, you're not you, you don't feel nervousness. Yeah. You, you don't feel pressure. I feel excited. You're waiting. Yeah. The pressure is the moments that are between waiting and going. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when it's go time, you forget everything. Oh, yeah. And it's literally the moment that you were meant to be in, you've trained for it, and you can't wait to get in that moment because you know you're ready. And you know that you have this feeling that there's nobody in the world that deserves that position more. Mm. But to get to that, you got to pay the price. Yeah. You know, and for me in, in football, I took great pride that every time I went on the field, I felt like there's nobody in the world that's better for that team at that moment than me. Wow. And so, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how do you, you know, a snapper, there's a lot of pressure in this and that. And it's actually funny. I would actually pretend like I was an actor, right? Who doesn't want to be an actor? Right? right. So I would pretend like I was an actor and I'd be on the sideline and I'm like, okay, if I was like the biggest badass long snapper in the world, what would that be? Mm-hmm. Step into it. Step into it. I used to do that in high school playing football as well. Just have an alter ego. That's it. And just become that person. Right when I crossed the uh, the lines, I just became Jerry Rice. Yeah. And I was like, I am Jerry Rice. Because he wasn't known as like the fastest guy, but he was like the most precise. He caught everything. And I was like, this is who I am. And it made me overcome that insecurity or fear if there was someone on their team that looked faster or whatever. I was like, no, I am Jerry Rice. Yep. Just cross the field. It's like every time a pitcher crosses like the line, it's like they step into this alter ego, and that's that's powerful. I totally that. get it. And but but the advantage to that too is, and and I think this is important for myself was I never wanted to be identified as any one thing. Like mm-hmm. oh, John the football player, yeah, me either. right? Or John the magician. It's mm-hmm. like look, this is a part of who I am. But I feel like whatever the public perceives you as. That's their choice, right? They might see me as just a football guy. They might see me as a hack of a magician. They might mm-hmm. see, it doesn't matter. But it's what, what do I feel about me and how do I feel about myself and what am I doing with my life? When you become that alter ego, you can step out of it. At any time. At any time because you've, you've become it, but it is what it is, but then guess what? I can come back to me. Mm-hmm. And then as a magician, boom, I can- You can step into the yep. David Copperfield role or whatever it is you wanted to be. And then I can come back to me. What would you do? What was the process for creating that alter ego or stepping into that? I guess in the alter ego, it's more, it's more in the football world. Like I had to literally psych myself up that I'm 
good enough because these guys are huge. Huge, I'm talking fast, huge. strong. Huge. Yeah. And I didn't realize it until years into my, into my career. I was standing next to Jason Peters and Brent Selleck, and there was a picture taken of us. And I remember looking like, I'm a five-year-old kid right now. Like, I feel like I should be going like this, holding their hands. <laughs> They're giants, monsters. Monsters, dude. And then when I got out of the game and I went back, I just remember looking around going, I literally ran around with these dudes. These guys are freaks of nature. Huge. Huge. But when you're in it, you kind of lose, lose the kind of the, the reality of like what normal size is. Because like around my friends, six foot, 250, 255, I'm, I'm a big guy. Yeah. There. I'm um, nothing, you yeah. know? So that was a trip, but it was, you know, when I perform, I'm just me. But I think that comes into where the confidence comes in, uh, where the preparation comes in. So you've been practicing for 20 years or something. Oh, yeah, years, 27 right? years. Yeah. yeah. So you were prepared for America's prepared. Talent. It wasn't like, I've been doing this for three years. I don't know how to perform in front of people. You're performing every day, right? With yeah. your teammates, with friends. And, and I think when I did America's Got Talent, and when you really find out who are you as a performer, you know, it's like, okay, you have all these influences, right? But the world doesn't need another Copperfield. The world doesn't need right, another David right. Blaine. And nor do I want to be them. No. I love them. But David there's Blaine's a, amazing. Uh, dude, there's a lot of magicians that I love. There's a lot of magicians that I love, that, but I despise. Like, I would never want to be you. Like, I think it's so cheesy, but I'm in the guy, oh, yes, that was awesome. <laughs> I love this guy. Just don't be that, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, what ends up happening is you find out who you are. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is I can, I can talk to a crowd. And, and to me, I realized that for me, like music, right? I want to be a rock star, but I picked up cards. Yeah. That's the tool. So there's a lot of magicians where the trick is the end-all be-all. And if that's it, well, then the trick is your show, mm. right? But if the trick becomes a tool, if a trick becomes a song to create an emotion, to create a connection in an audience, or to make something relative in a moment of time, well, now it's not about the trick. It's about the moment. Mm. I'm going to feel really bad because two people have quoted this. I read it. I think it was George Carlin. You know, they're not, they're not going to remember what you said. They're not going to remember the joke or, or what you did, but they're going to remember, remember how you feel. Mm-hmm. And that, how, you, how you made them feel. How you made them feel, yeah. right? And that's going to make them come back. Yeah. And so I, I found out that in my show, I, it's, it's my life story, and I use magic along the way on where I was at different points to how really? I grieved and how I found happiness and how I came out of it. You tell your life story yeah. throughout the show. Yeah. Really? Everything. The good, wow. the, good the bad, the ugly, uh, finding forgiveness. That's crazy. Man. Yeah, it's well, cool. You, you have a crazy story about your, you were 12 years old, right? Yeah. And your, your dad kills your mom, which is crazy. Yeah. And he doesn't tell you about it. Well, and you're going to practice with him, and then he turns himself in afterwards with your mom in the truck or something crazy, right? Yeah, so one of those things where my dad was, the guy's my hero. Yeah. Like, the guy's my favorite person in the world. Yeah. You know, we play catch every day, coach my teams, president of Little League. You know, I wanted to be King Griffey Jr. and JB. I grew up in Seattle, and I wanted to be a baseball player. And so every night he'd come home, and if it was dark, we'd turn the lights on right in the car at the top of the driveway. He'd give me an American pop fly, and we'd do it over and over, and I'd catch it, and I'd pretend like I was Griffey. So he was like an active dad. Yeah. He was there for you. He was supportive, giving, caring, attentive. To to my sister and my brother and I, yeah. Yeah. And my mom was my other favorite person. And um, look, I didn't have a a learning disability. Mm -hmm. I'm not not claiming I did. I'm not looking for sympathy. But reading comprehension was really difficult for Mm -hmm. me in school. And uh, I needed to be placed in like special reading yeah, programs. Okay, and too. Yeah. my mom helped start this program to basically make a, a reading visual. And so that helped me. And then all of a sudden, cool kids started to come. And then all of a sudden, people liked my mom. Like, she was cool, mm. right? And so what my mom taught me is that you can struggle. You can be different. You don't have to be good at what everybody else is. But there's still a purpose for you. Mm-hmm. And there's still, there's still a lane in this world for you. You just got to figure out what it is. And so we lived a Brady Bunch family. And, and when I came home... 
I was across the street playing football, you know, just backyard stuff with some friends. And uh, I didn't know this at the time, but my dad murdered my mom. And uh, he used a bench grinder and a sledgehammer. And it was really bad. Brutal. Brutal. Wow. So I came home. And now looking back in hindsight, Monday quarterback, right? He kept me out of the garage where it happened. Uh, we played a few games. A friend of his came over. How does he play a few games with you after he just did this? I think he snapped out. Like, I think <clears throat> it, he, he snapped. And then he snapped out and realized I was coming home. And he had to be there for you. And he, he, had to, he had to figure out wow. what the heck's going on. And so I think, and, and look, I, I sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the time, I try and put myself in other people's shoes. And I, I said, man, if I was him, what would I have done? Right. What, what would you do, right? You either lose it and run. Mm-hmm. You either kill your son when he comes home. Or you kill, kill, yourself. kill yourself. Yeah. Or so all these things go, and then all of a sudden, wow. you don't agree with what happened, but maybe you understand why they acted the way that they right, did right, if right. you can just put yourself in, the, in those shoes. Yeah. And so he kept me from it, got me off to a baseball camp the next morning, and then he ended up turning himself in. You know, in the trial, there's speculation every which direction. And, um, you know, I, I, we think he tried to get away with it and painted the garage. And I think maybe wow. he just thought he wasn't going to. And then in, in the state of Washington at the time, second-degree murder was a max sentence of 13 years. That's it? That's it. So wow. you probably do the math. If I run, it's probably going to go down as first degree I'm life, right? And I'm going to get caught. I kill myself. Do I want to die? Or if I turn myself in, I'm facing a max of 13. I probably serve 11, and I probably get out when I'm... 50. Wow. Like, they're still good, alive. Pretty good life. I mean, for the trade? It's like, crazy, man. For what you did? Yeah, I mean, for the, the crime. It's crazy. Yeah. So my sister and I went into temporary <clears throat> foster homes. My brother was 18 at the time. Before you go on, my yeah. brother went to j- uh, jail for four and a half years for the first account of selling LSD. So it's like you go to jail for, it was six to 25 sentence. We got on four and a half on good behavior when I was uh, 12 years old. But to... to Crime of murdering someone and to only be six or seven more years, it's crazy. Crazy. So what ended up happening is I think he turned himself in. So now all of a sudden his attorneys are like, look, the only reason he did what he did was to protect him. Well, well, yeah, self-defense and then temporary insanity. Right. And I think the argument that his attorneys made is he didn't turn himself in right away because his son was coming home. He didn't know what to do. He protected his son, got his son off, and then turned himself in. The next day, yeah. And and look, now now I'm an old, you know, I'm older. Okay, right. I, I get it. Sense. Whether that was his motive or not, yeah. that's the way I think it was spun, and right. it made sense to people, right? right. So now it, it is now second degree, and it was a... You-, you can claim victory in sports on the job site, even on your taxes, by switching to H&R Block. Block offers many ways to file to fit your schedule. A 100% accurate return on your max refund or your money back. Plus, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. Switch today and feel like a tax champion. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. Disclaimer, all tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of just you. For instance, the song you stream over and over again while you're in your 13th hour of gaming at 4 a.m. in the morning with all the lights off, trying not to wake up your roommates, or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are the best to listen to on your way to the gym and back, or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic bowl cut from the 90s and hopefully is. Everything that makes you, you, makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should 
should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you and the ability to choose the plan that you want by picking the options that fit you. Like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies is what the State Farm Personal Price Plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You can label it a, a crime of passion. You can label it whatever you want. The guy snapped and snapped out of it. Wow. And wow. So did you talk to your dad after that and when he was in jail? So, yeah. So for, well, there's a few months there where, you know, he's in jail and not convicted yet. He's in trial. He's, he's in, in trial. Yeah. yeah. So you're trying to figure out what's going on. And, and again, a lot of reflection as life goes. And, and I've hit certain ages that my parents got to, that my aunt that ended up raising me got to and reflected on the decisions that they made mm -hmm. to help my sister and I. Mm -hmm. And think about this. My dad goes to prison, turns himself in for murdering my mom, which is my aunt's best friend, her sister, wow. which is my grandparents' daughter, right? They're driving my sister and I to go see him. Oh my gosh. And they would wait outside. But they were like, as much as this is killing us and stabbing us, we really <clears> believe <throat> that, that if we don't tell these kids the way they have to think, they're never gonna resent us. Mm. And instead, it's gonna make sense to them. Like, wow. they're gonna figure this out. But I think we have to let them figure it out. To so go see their dad and, and... Whatever that process was. Wow. So we, my sister and I was in super intense therapy that was mandated by the state and my, and my aunt and, and grandparents. My therapist was amazing. We would do individual sessions throughout the week and then my sister and I would do a group session with them throughout the week. And yeah, we would go see him at the county jail. And it was very, you know, and I, t I kept a journal, right? And I, wow. I've never read it until we wrote wow. this book. And it's every day for two years. Wow. Every emotion, everything I did, everything I felt. And, uh, you know, we would go see him and, and a lot of it was just, hey, how's the weather? And like, right. you know, he couldn't talk about it. Nor as a 12 year old, You're did 12. you ever think about asking? Yeah. Because at that time, in your mind, it's also fake. Like this is a dream. Crazy. So like for me to go to the prison and say, dad, why did you do that? I'm going to the, the, the jail to talk to my dad knowing he's coming home tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Thinking he's gonna get out. Thinking he's gonna get out because this isn't, this is just a big mistake. Yeah. Like, you know, this didn't happen. So your conversation is completely skewed and steered because you, you don't have any concept of reality. Wow. And I was 12 years old. And now for kids today, today's a lot different because the internet exposure, information, violence, <clears throat> you're just exposed to so much more. But when we grew up at 12, you didn't know anyone that killed I, anyone. I had know. RBI baseball. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't have the internet to know yeah, that yeah. there's people murdering and, yeah. and gangs and all this evil stuff. So, you're not, you know, back in the day, you weren't exposed to the evil side of life probably until you got into high school or college because right, right. you just didn't see it, right? Or at least where I grew Your up. Parents are protecting you. Yeah. You're, you've got a routine. You're yeah, playing sports, going home, having dinner. You don't even know that the evil world exists. So, now you're 12 years old and you're exposed to a side of the world that you didn't know existed. You got to grow up fast, yeah. real fast make a decision on who do you want to be? You know, do you, do you live in vision or do you live in circumstance? Mm. Do you make this an excuse? And now, are, are you saying these words as a kid? No, but I, it's all happening, whether you realize it or not. I had the greatest help imaginable. 
So then, yeah, my sister and I went through about a year, year and a half of therapy. And then the final closing, if you will, was basically my therapist said, okay, we're going to go see your dad. He's now sentenced and he's at Walla Walla State Penitentiary. And you're going to tell him whatever you want. You've now had a year and a half to process this. Your reality is now, it, it's set in. Like, you know what it is. You've accepted it. Mm. So now, what would you like to say to him, knowing that this isn't a nightmare or a dream and knowing you're not going to wake up and this happened? Right. I mean, that's, that's deep, right? What do you say? Well, and then the other thing that was powerful to me is, after that happened, and we'll get to that, the therapist basically gave us a hug and said, okay, I'm done. Like, you kids are... You're on your own. Like, we're probably never going to talk again. Really? And that's part of closure. Really? Acceptance. Wow. Knowing that there's journeys, there's beginnings, there's ends, mm -hmm. and that good things can happen, bad things can happen, but, but when that chapter closes, it's okay. It's time okay. To move on. It's yeah. okay, kids. Like, I've done my job, and it's time to move on wow. and rock on. I think I've given you guys a foundation of who you are and who you want to be. And the tools to move forward when you're, yeah. Go spread your wings. Wow. So, yeah, so I, uh, my sister and I and my aunt flew with us to Walla Walla State Penitentiary. And, and this was probably, since the end of the trial, we, we didn't see him or have communication. Mm -hmm. When we would go see him at the county, you're talking through glass. Mm -hmm. But it's not real, right? Now you get to see him, you can touch him, you can hug him. Well, no, no, it was still behind glass. Really? At the prison? Yeah. Wow. But I, I think for me it was the realization of when I would go see him at the county jail, like I said, it was all a dream. Yeah, he's coming you, back. You're not taking in the fact that, like, you can't touch him and there's a phone and you don't take that in. Well, now a year and a half goes by, you've accepted your reality and now you walk in and everything, every sense, every observation is just magnified because you're like, okay, I, I get this, this is now. Real. This is real. And uh, we walk in and just, just the coldness, the cement, the clank of the doors, like the echoing of the intercoms and the guards and the jingling of keys, like all this stuff was like in a movie where everything goes quiet and you just hear that one sound, mm -hmm. just super loud, mm -hmm. right? Sat down. And then all of a sudden it was glass. And I, I, I remember going, wow, okay. And then he comes in and, you know, in his scrubs or whatever you call him, and then mm -hmm. picks up the phone and it's like, oh my gosh, like this is your life now, this is my life. Wow. And, um, you know, the, the, that conversation was a blur. You know, there's a lot of things that I, I remember I and I don't remember. Yeah. Um, I, I feel bad, are we allowed to cut like cuss or no? Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's quoted, right? I just remember saying, shut the F up. Yeah. Like, this is my time now. Wow. And I'm the man of this house. Wow. And you're yeah. like 13, 14. 13. And, and you're the youngest of yeah, three? Yeah, I was the youngest of three. Yeah. So my, it was my brother, three years later my sister, three years later me. Was he trying to give you some instructions or nope. something? Or you just said? Nope. He was just sitting there. Some words were exchanged. I mean, I think both of us got emotional at times. And then I remember saying, F you. And he said, F me, F you. Wow. He said it back to you? Yeah. Why? I'll never forget. And then... Why would uh, he say that? Well... Why would he just say, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I messed up. It's a great question. And I've spent so many years thinking of that. And then it comes down to you become an adult. I became an adult. And I said, well, you know what? And I remember writing this book... I remember going, God dang, if I were him, what would I have done? Mm. In that moment? In, in or? that moment. Yeah, wow. And then I said, you know what? I probably would have done the same thing. Wow, why? Because the kids forgetting about me or hating me is probably going to be the best thing for them to move on. Mm. Like, am I going to drag these kids through this? Now, whether that was his motive or not, that's not what this is about. I'm not justifying his actions. I'm not... I'm not 
agreeing with what he did, but if it were me, why would I have done that? Mm -hmm. and, and you know what? This is what I've learned too, is that whether that's his motive or not, it's irrelevant. But if I can come to peace at why he did it within the own story that I tell myself, and, and I can understand, that's all that matters. Yeah. And I said, man, I wonder if, you know, what, what, what am I gonna drag these kids to? Like, what am I gonna, like, you know what? 13 years I'm coming out. here every week with me, yeah. I'm out. Wow. So you know what? F you, kid. That's crazy. And then I left and that was it. That was the last time you saw him? Yeah. You never called him? No, no. So I, I, I learned years later that there was a deal made where I, I guess if our family didn't sue him civilly, he would do nothing about contacting us, fighting for um, custody. He would basically, I'm out. Mm. And I get it, take the kids, I'm out. If you and didn't so, sue him. If it, yeah, because you have, a, you have a criminal trial, right? right? Then you have a civil trial. And the civil trial could be money, it could be wow. anything. Yeah, so I think from what my understanding was is don't sue me civilly, I'm out. And you guys do what you want to do. Yeah. Wow. And I, you know, as, a, as an adult, I respect it. Yeah. From my family side, my aunt and, and my grandparents, and from his side, mm -hmm. that they, they did what they thought was best for the kids, and that was me. What, um, when did he get out? Just a few years ago at Thanksgiving. Wow. Thanksgiving Day? Yeah, Thanksgiving Holy dinner. Cow. In fact, uh, we were playing the Detroit Lions in Detroit, and we played an afternoon game on Thursday. Chip Kelly said, hey, you guys are off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If you guys want to fly out of Detroit and go home and, and have Thanksgiving dinner in California uh -huh. where you guys live, go ahead. So <clears throat> my, myself, Mark Sanchez, and a couple guys, we got a flight. We bounced out, and I went home for Thanksgiving. At the time, I, it was my girlfriend, which is my wife now. We were a gay girlfriend. I, I don't remember. But we were together, and it kind of, a couple glasses of wine, telling some stories. And, and, and what's, what's great is the conversation was all positive. Mm. You know, like you're, you're telling her he's getting out today, or you knew that he was getting out. No, so he had gotten out years and years and years and years ago. Oh, okay, but when gotcha. we, I'm sorry, when we went back for that Thanksgiving dinner, there's been times where we've had conversations about my family that just get heated and, and too emotional, uh -huh. and then there's times where we've had conversations about our past within my family that it's it's actually a good conversation. Like uh -huh. it was actually, it didn't go down this really negative, right, right. depressing path. Uh huh. And that Thanksgiving dinner was one of those conversations where Annalise was there, and it just. It was just a good conversation that was, we talked about our past, but like the vibe was that, hey, we're alive. Yeah. And it just kind of came out that like, you know, when, when that all happened, we just agreed to not sue him civilly and he wouldn't contact oh, you wow. and this and that. And I'd never heard that. And I was like, and I didn't make an issue of it, but I was like, okay, that's actually pretty cool. Like yeah. I, I, I totally get that. Wow. And then I instantly go into what would I have done mm -hmm. if these were my brother's kids or something. Right. And you know what? I probably would have done the same thing. Wow. And what's funny is, you know, adults, they've been there, done that, you know? And so the, 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 the beautiful part or the silver lining of that decision was now if I ever wanted to contact my dad or my sister or my brother, it'd be our decision. Mm -hmm. Like we wouldn't have a pressure of right. an email or right. a phone or whatever. He basically wasn't allowed to. He wasn't allowed to. Yeah. So he'd been we, out for how many years? So he's been out mm -hmm. longer than he was in. Right, so I think he got released in like 2004. Wow. So he got, he went in in 92 and served, what, 11, 12 years? So, so you knew been. when he got out, and, but you didn't contact him. He didn't contact you, wasn't allowed to. Yeah, and, and nor did I have any really desire at, at that time. Uh -huh. I didn't really care either way. But you know what, I would, I would always think like, you know, he, we lived in Woodenville in, in Seattle. Uh, I knew he was out in that area. Really? And you know, I remember when we played the Seahawks, I, I, would just, gonna be there. I would just look around. 
shut up. And I'd be like, you know what? I haven't seen this guy in a long, long time. But I feel like if I see him, I'll just, I'll know. What would you do if you saw him in a game or something? I don't know. But I remember walking out for pregames and stuff. Oh and if my I was gosh. sitting on the bench, you look I would around, just look around. Like, is he behind me? Is he not, not in a scared way. You know, not, not in an intimidated way. Not, not in a, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than it's, for me, it was curiosity. Yeah. I wonder if he's curious enough I wonder, to come. Yeah. yeah. Or just. Did he ever come to a game? Do you ever watch a game on TV or anything? I don't know. I, I mean, how do you not? I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. But then again, would I be shocked either way? So wait, have you talked to him since? Yeah. What, what, what happened? What? So a lot of years went by. And uh, I got married. And my wife got pregnant. And all of a sudden, a flow of emotions came back to me. I can imagine, man. And I had thought that the book was done. And I just got out of open heart surgery. This is a whole other crazy story. Yeah. Well, why don't we get back we'll to We'll get to that, right? <laughs> this is crazy. All of a sudden, my wife gets pregnant, and I start feeling all these emotions of being a dad. And then I start thinking about everything that my dad and I missed out on. Mm. And about two, three, yeah, about three weeks before my wife delivered our daughter, I looked at her and I said, I think I want to see my dad. And I realized that I'd never like, just hung out with him. I never had lunch with my dad as an adult. And, and as I grew up, you know, my, my buddy Paul and, and John and Danny and, and my friends, they'd be like, yo, hey, we're, you know, we're gonna meet my dad, you wanna come? Yeah, 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 let's go. And I remember they would just sit and like, go get pizza with their dad or yeah, like just- Ice cream or hang yeah, out, yeah. just hang out, right? As they got into junior high and high school and college and like, I saw those relationships develop with them. And then when I was about to have my daughter, I realized I didn't, you know, I had an uncle that, that my aunt married for a while that raised me that was an amazing influence on me and, and was a great role model, but it's still not your dad. Mm -hmm. So I told my, my wife, I go, you know what? I, I think I want to sit and have lunch with my dad. Now, the hard part is I wanted to do this alone. And I didn't really want anybody to go with me. Wow. And nor did I tell anyone. Because probably for one of the first times in my life, I really didn't care what you had to say. Wow. I didn't care your opinion. I didn't care if you agree with me, if you disagree with me. I didn't need to hear anybody else's opinion on the decision that I wanted to make for me. You were doing this no matter what. I was what, doing yeah. it no matter what. Wow. And I just didn't care what anybody else thought. Right. And your wife was on board. She was okay with it. She was on board, but I wanted to do it alone. Yeah. And I know for a fact that I wouldn't have had the heart to say stay behind because she, she just wanted to be in the hotel room, just want to be there. And, and my wife's amazing, right? So ironically, the timing just worked out. She couldn't travel anyways. Perfect. Yeah. So like... <laughs> And, and none of that was uh, premeditated or pre, right. it's just, it's just the way it all happened, right? Wow. So I was performing in Calgary, Canada, and I was heading to Vegas. Doing and, a magic show. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, so I sent Still playing in the NFL or no? No, so I'm done after, playing. After, yeah. After, yeah. So uh, this whole thing just happened like a few months ago. Shut up, dude. Yeah, this whole five months ago. And so uh, I'd been out of the league two years and I shot an email. Actually, the NFL did a piece and they contacted him and they said, hey, do you want to do this? And he said, unless everybody comes forward, and it's okay with all my kids, I'm out. And so, you know, he goes, it's not fair to everybody else. Unless all the kids come. Unless the entire family come to me and say, hey, we would like you to do this interview, oh, wow. I'll do it. If not, I'm out. Oh, wow. And so, uh, but, but I knew that they had his contact info. And I'd never asked for it. I didn't care at the time, because that was years ago. So I, I hit up the guy that did the piece and said, hey, by any chance, do you still have my dad's email? He shot it to me. Wow. So I shot my dad an email that said, uh, it said hey, I, I don't really know what to say. I have no expectations. I don't want anything from you. But if you want to sit and have coffee sometime, let me know. Holy cow. And this is what, 20 years after you'd seen him? 27. Holy cow. 
26. Yeah. And sure enough, he wrote me back and said, I've been waiting for your time to be right. I would love that. I don't really know what to say either. Wow, 26 years he's been waiting for you to reach out to him. Yeah, I mean, if it were me, you know, I mean, you're kind of waiting, yeah, waiting for your like, time to be right. Like, wow. You know, and so we basically set it up that I was going to go from Canada to Vegas. I just stopped and sat with him for five and a half hours. Where was he? He was living in Vegas? No, he was living up in the Washington area. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. And so I, I knew where he was at, so I stopped there. We met at a, a coffee shop. Yeah. Five and a half hours. Yeah, we spent five and a half hours. And, and I'm telling you. What was that like? Every emotion you can imagine played out. And I remember Rage, him. anger, sadness, love, joy, well, everything. Okay. So I, I went in with kind of the emotional wherewithal and the self-awareness of, okay, I'm not, I'm not there for him. Right. So at the end of the day, I, I literally, I, I talk to myself. <laughs> and, and it's like a coach talking to sure, me. Sure, sure. And it, I, I literally go, at the end of the day, John, it doesn't matter what he says. No. It doesn't matter his opinion. It doesn't matter... You don't need validation. You just need to say sorry. Yeah. Nothing. If he does, great. But if he doesn't, are you shocked, right? So just manage expectations. Like, you're not there for him. You're there for you. Remember that. Don't get caught up in the moment. Don't let the moment affect why you're there. Get too emotional. No, just... just, Reactive. Just be there for you. Wow. And it was kind of like a game. Like, when when the moment comes, everything quiets. And it's just the moment. And all of a sudden, that's all you feel. Like, you don't even feel or hear anything around you. You're just, you're in your lane. It's Kevin Costner and for the love of the game when he's mm-hmm. pitching. Mm-hmm. Clear the mechanism. It just <laughs> fades. Yeah. And I remember when he walked in, instantly recognized him. You and, did recognize him, yeah. yeah. The energy, his face, just his face. Just like, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, you, you don't, I, I didn't know. And did so, he look old and weathered? Yeah. Did he? Wow. And he looked at me and he goes, you got big. And I looked at him and go, you got old, you know? <laughs> and we sat down. And I remember- Did you shake? Did you hug? Shake, Did you? Oh. yeah. Oh. And then we sat down and we ordered some food. And when I say every emotion happened, I remember there was probably five or 10 seconds. You just wanted to- No, no, I blinked. And I told myself, I just wanna have lunch with my dad. Wow. I just wanna have lunch with my dad. I don't wanna forget everything. Wow. And I just wanna sit here. And I remember looking around and there was, you know, a teenager and an adult, I just figured that's probably a dad and a, and a kid, right? And then I remember looking around going, if anybody in this area were to look at this table right now with my dad and I, they would not think that this is a man that just killed this kid's mom and they haven't seen each other in 26 years. Wow. And I just remember observing everybody else and then that lasted like five or 10 seconds and you just, the, the movie, the, the role's over, right? Yeah. The little play date's over mm-hmm. and then reality kicks in. And I remember just, it was small talk. And- um, How was your day? How are things going? Just, What's it like being yeah. out? Whatever, yeah. And then I, I just said, hey, like, how did you survive? How did you survive? I mean, you're not a gang guy, you're, you have no, you know? In prison, In yeah. prison, like, how did you survive? And I'll never forget what he said. He goes, it was an accident. I survived on accident. Wow. Yeah, and then we talked about some things that you know I, I won't get into. Sure. And then he probably went through a lot in, in prison. Probably had to deal with it. It's prison. It's probably more pain than just killing yourself. You know, more emotional trauma. It's a lot of trauma. Well, look, I, I've you know he didn't disclose a lot about what happened behind the walls. Yeah. But I've seen ever since he got locked up and the documentaries came out, I've watched them all. Yeah. On prison. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 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 a white male that went in there for a hate crime on a woman. Yeah, you're, like you're not exactly. 
you're, you're up there you're with... Liked. You're, you're, you're in the same list as pedophiles yeah. as when it comes to inmate respect. Yeah. So what he went through is, that, that, that's his demons, right? Yeah. But I remember I would, I would at, at the moment, I all of a sudden wanted answers. Mm. Like Why did I, you do this? I, what happened? Yeah. What, what did mom do? All right, I'm going to go way back, dude. I, I got to go way back. Go. So we were at the trial when I'm 12 years old, and they're going to show the autopsy photos of my mom. Oh my gosh. And my therapist said, hey, don't look. Looked at my sister and I and said, I want you guys to see these. I want you to see these. Oh my God, to see what your dad did. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And then when the trial happened, the autopsy photos were angled so only the jurors could see it. The cameras couldn't see it. The people watching couldn't see it. My, my therapist got upset. So he went, and we were the first minors to ever get a private court order for a viewing of an autopsy photo. So we went downtown to the prosecutor's office. And I'll never forget, they walked in, dropped the folder and said, I can't believe you're doing this to these kids. And they kind of walked out. So my sister and I are just sitting there, dude, my, you're just sweating. Oh my, my gosh. My heart's just racing. Now, now keep in mind, I don't even know what this is. You're like, well, what's going on? I'm 12. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm getting into. And so people I, are mad at the therapist. For wanting this. And I'll never forget, she leaves, and he just very calmly turned, and he said, you know what, guys? I don't even care if you look at it. Who but said what? this? My therapist. He goes, everybody thinks I want you to do this and everybody thinks it's a bad idea. But why should it be anybody else's decision? Because here it is, if you want to, look at it. If not, we can walk, yep. we can go away. Wow. So he said, I'm gonna leave. You either look or not, and I won't even ask you. But if, if it's up to me, this is your decision. This is your life. And, and he, I would wanna know, yeah. Well, he gets up, and right before he walks out that door, he looks at my sister and I and says, I know how the world works. I'm trying to get you guys to understand what forgiveness can do to you. So, if you're in your 30s or 40s, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. But if you ever decide to have lunch with your dad and to meet him again and to talk, it'll be for reasons other than what happened. Mm. Because that right there is what happened. And I know that doesn't sound like a popular decision right now. And I know nobody out there is saying, go see your dad in 20 years. But if you do, it'll be for reasons other than what happened. Mm. It's your call. So sure enough, he walks out, and I peeked, and I saw it. Wow. And some were bad, really bad. Yeah. But the ones I remember were the bruises on her hand. She had little bruises, and that was from her trying to protect herself. Oh, my gosh. Those are the ones that I remember. That's and so I never, once that day happened, we went to the Puget Sound, we stood on a cliff, and we just screamed. He's like, just scream oh all you gosh. want. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't tell you how long I was there. And after that moment, I never thought about it. Wow, you let it out. Yeah, you let it go. Just let it go. And I never had nightmares about it. I never, I never thought about it until I'm about to be a dad. Wow. And then I told my wife, it's time. And I remember being on the plane, looking outside going, you son of a bitch. I'm seeing my dad for reasons other than wanting to know what happened. Wow. And it just came full circle. Holy cow, I just got the chills. But wow. now I'm there sitting with my dad. Because you didn't need to know what happened. You saw what happened. I saw it. So no matter what he said. You're like, I saw what you did. I saw it. There's nothing you can say to change that. Yeah, you can't persuade me no. in another way. Like, I saw what happened. Saw you could have stopped at any moment. You could have maybe hit her once and then been like, whoa, what am I doing? Yeah. You didn't have to finish it, right? Like, so oh, he finished it. Right. Yeah. So what did you... Well, what, so, what did you, so now you're, you're taking all this. I'm taking all this in. And now when I'm sitting there with him... Uh, I wanted answers. Yeah. I, I did. Yeah, I would too. And you know what? I know what happened, 
but I want to know what are you happened. Are you going to lie? Yeah. I want to know. And it was that, that, there's that fine line right there that I didn't come there to debate. I didn't come there to argue. I didn't come there to prove a point. So I just subtly asked, what happened? Mm. And, yeah, and like I said, I just subtly asked. And then- Do you feel like he was authentic and honest about it or was he- At times. Yeah. At times in the conversation I do. And then at times in the conversation, I just felt like it's kind of, there's, it's just shut off. He's probably also like had to block out a lot of stuff oh. and so much trauma that, you know, not saying okay, it's okay, well, but stepping in his shoes, it's probably just like, maybe it was this way, maybe it was that way. Like, so you just, you just brought up a really interesting concept. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I asked him that exact question. And I was prepared for two answers that I was perfectly, that I was totally okay accepting. You did it, you're in prison. Do you either bottle it up and forget about it? Or do you just come to peace with yourself and say, I did it mm. and you're over it and you move on. And it is what it is. And you know what? If you don't agree, screw the world. Right. Those are the two things that it's like, and, and you know what? I get both. Yeah. I I've recently joined the world of home ownership. And one thing I've learned is that there's so much more freedom with what I can do with my home, but also so many more decisions to make. Figuring out where to start on big projects like a complete room makeover can be overwhelming. But with Crate and Barrel's free interior design service, a design pro can provide design and styling help for projects big or small. Whether you're redesigning your living room, choosing a new dining room table and chairs, or even just styling a bookshelf. Work one-on-one -on -one with a design pro who will work with existing furnishings and help you choose new ones. Get 2D layouts and even 3D renderings so you can actually see your space to help you decide. Did I mention it's free? Yes. Having fun exploring the possibilities of what you can redesign or have the design desk help. Go to crateandbarrel.com or your local store to make an appointment with the Crate and Barrel Design Desk. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal? To give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. Now, you know how much I emphasize the power of teams for your business. And ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. Their smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. My company, Greatness Media, is currently hiring, and in my opinion, finding the right team is one of the most important steps in setting your business up for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I'm grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help with my growing team. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Totally get both. And it's not about whether he was right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's not about whether I agree with what he did or not. But I can step back and say, I get both. And what are you saying? He just said he came to terms. And I, I don't really know if I believe him. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's, I think it's part coming to terms and part just Turn yeah. it off. Yeah. Just turn it off, put it in a bottle and toss it. I think there's a, I think there's a, a combination. So here's what happens. So now I want answers. I want to know what happened. And I would ask some questions and it didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. And then the, the subject will get trained. It'd be a you know, change to like politics or like, you know, mm -hmm. the, the problems with, you know, prisons and, and drugs and all this. It just kind of go off on a tangent. And I would just kind of take a deep breath and just step back and say, okay, you know what? That's not why I'm here. Mm -hmm. That's not why I'm here. Right. And so after about five and a half hours, he apologized 
not for doing what he did, but for causing pain. Mm. And this was the moment that took me back to when I was 14 and when I was 22. So my mom died. And when she died, she had a jewelry box that my grandparents and my aunt found, and then they opened it up and she had necklaces in there for my brother and my sister and I. Mm -hmm. And when we would have turned 18, she was gonna give us those necklaces. It was a St. Christopher. And so sure enough, my my family gives it to me and I wore it everywhere. So I go to the beach, I jump in the ocean in Huntington Beach, so we moved down to Southern California with my aunt Susan. And I remember being at the beach and I got out of the ocean and it was gone, devastated. How old are you? Like 14, 15, I was devastated. And I, I looked for it, like I would go back and look in the sand. Dude, I literally, I didn't have any money. I gave the, I, there was like a guy with a metal detector. I'm like, dude, I'll give you five bucks if you find this necklace, yeah. right? And he's like, he didn't find it. <laughs> but after looking for it and after being like, like depressed about it, feeling like I lost my mom, there was a defining moment in my life when I was looking at the ocean and I said, you know what? <sighs> I didn't lose it. It's not my fault. Mm. I was never meant to have it. Mm. And it became the defining moment of, I can change the story in my own head Mm -hmm. to make sense of what happened, to believe it in a different way that's a little bit more romantic about life, and it'll motivate me. And I can take a negative and find motivation within it. And I told myself that my mom always wanted to go to Australia. Mm. And so it hopped on a whale and went over to Hawaii. And a sea turtle took it to Australia, and then she went to Thailand and Japan. And now all of a sudden, my mom's been all over the world. And so now whenever I see the ocean, I know she's been there and done that, and there she is. Mm-hmm. And so now losing that necklace, which I thought was going to be an awful thing, it ended up being probably the coolest thing to this day because wow. I know where she's at. Wow. So then I turned 22. I go back to that same beach, and I remember looking out into the ocean. I said, Mom, I, I look, I went through all this therapy, and I, 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 I forgive Dad. Mm. And at that moment, I felt so guilty because I was conflicted that I thought that my mom was going to hate me for it and resent me and thought I was picking sides. Mm. And I, I remember going, okay, I'm gonna turn it. If you want me to be the man you want me to be, I gotta get rid of this. Like there's somebody in my life that's affecting my life that's no longer in my life. That's my fault. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden I started- Forgiveness is not saying it's about them being right or wrong. It's not. It's about you being at peace yep. with whatever's happening yep. and you letting it go so it doesn't rule your life. It's not power over you. 100%. Yeah. And now that, that right there, is so deep because forgiveness, it's not really talked about in school. Mm. And, and I think that myself and a lot of people just think it's about winning and losing. If I forgive you, it's because I'm okay with what you did and let's just move on with our lives, wow. right? And at that moment, I realized it's not. It has nothing to do with what that person did. It had nothing to do with whether I agree with what that person did. It has nothing to do if I still have a relationship with that person. How do I come to peace in terms of my reality to find some positive energy mm. to make something of myself. Yeah. And I had to let go of this burden and this, the hating, the blaming. It, like, I just had to get rid of this cloud. So I, I read a quote that Nelson Mandela had. I might get it wrong, but I'll paraphrase. Guy goes to prison, we all know. Yeah. Right? When he's in prison, he, he gathers the inmates and says, hey, if they don't have our souls, we're free men. He goes, I was free in prison. Mm-hmm. I got out of prison and became so bitter at the time lost that I wasn't in prison until I mentally put myself in prison when I was a free man. Yeah. And I went, oh. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And so he, he had to like get rid of this bitterness of time lost to free his own mind even though he was free. Right. And I was like, you know what? It's time for me to free my own mind. Yeah. And resentment and anger and all these things that I kind of would just keep internally. So I looked up and said, I, I forgive dad, but, but mom, 
I, I forgive him for being lost and I forgive him for making a mistake because I've done that. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I can live with that. Wow. And so all this has happened in my head, right? 22. 22. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, here I am sitting at the table. And, and, and before I went to see my dad, I remember thinking, I've never said three words out loud. I've never said, I forgive you out loud. Mm. And so to my dad. And so when I was at, I saw him, I, I just, at times that I wanted to probe or at times I wanted answers, I just stepped back and said, why are you here? Because you have three words that you've never said. Oh my gosh. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> this new concept of forgiveness doesn't matter at all what he has to say. Mm-hmm. What he thinks, whether I agree with it, whether I disagree, he could have come in and said, I love you, I'm so sorry, this is exactly what happened, I'm a piece of shit. Right. He could have, but would that have made- You still resent, you can still resent him. Does it, does it matter? Yeah, it doesn't matter. He could have said, you know what, I, I did what I had to do and F the world and all, he could have, but is that why I'm there? No, so it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there to seek validation, I wasn't there, it was for me. Mm-hmm. And so after he said, I'm sorry for causing pain, I basically said, you know what? I forgive you for being lost and I forgive you for making a mistake. Wow. Both of which I have made many. Wow. And he just looked at me. And that was the time where I think it got real. Like that's the time where, you know, the eyes glaze over and I think it was just, that was real. Wow. And uh, I basically said, hey, I, I got to bounce, you know? And so. <laughs> right after that. <laughs> All right, peace out. All right, you know, we, we talked for a little bit longer, but yeah. it was. You know, I, I, the substance of the conversation, I don't really know yeah. the magnification of it. And, and so now I kind of felt guilty in a way that I didn't even tell my family, right? And now- They my, didn't know you went to see your dad. And my grandparents, you know, I, I love them more than anything. And I think part of it too is I want them to hear it. I still haven't told them. You haven't told your grandparents that you went to go see them? Really? And it's been hard, but I think I want them to hear it through things like this. Wow. So that I- not that, they would, not that they would interrupt, not that anything like that would happen, mm-hmm. but I can just talk or they could just read and get it in the full context of why I did it. Mm. And I think it would be a real hard conversation for me to have. Yeah. And I respect them and love them more than anything, but hopefully they hear this or they read it mm-hmm. and realize it's not, I don't want a relationship with them, I don't, mm-hmm. it was for me. And uh, I'm now heading back. I get on the plane and I remember being, saying, like, I, I feel great, I hope I did the right thing. And I, I remember opening the window of the plane and it was like the best sunset I've ever seen in my life. Mm. And so to me, that was my mom. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. So I land, I see my wife, and then now the time comes that I'm, she's giving birth to my daughter. And I'm like, you know, you know the other thing too that I, that I wanna touch on, and I don't know if I said this, or if I did, just you can interrupt me, but I wanted to sit at the table with my dad and feel every emotion about that relationship. And I wanted to, to think about everything that him and I missed out on and everything that should have been. Having my mom there, having my dad there, the things he should have taught me how to do, the, the way I should have looked up to this man. And then I wanted to look at him in the eyes and look into his soul and feel everything he did wrong in his life. Mm. And maybe I'll leave a better father because wow. of it. And that was a hard thing to do. And we have friends that uh, were in our, my wife and I's wedding. Uh, one of them, pen pal with her dad, hadn't seen him for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden they wanted to see, you know, she wanted to see him and he passed away. Um, I have a relative, 
father, searched for him, passed away. Mm. They never got to see him. And I didn't want to be that guy, you know? And that's why I did it. Like, I didn't want to be that guy to wish I would have had just a few hours right. with him. Just and, to have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. And part of it, it's for me. Yeah. And I remember sitting at that table and feeling that entire time of my life all over again. But taking it in a way, not of resentment, not of hate, not of blame. Instead, what did you do wrong that maybe will help me not do the same thing? Mm -hmm. What can I do right now mm -hmm. to look into your soul to make my daughter's life better? Wow. And that is me trying to take a negative and take the story and find motivation in it. Because the reality is this, life happens. Life doesn't care who you are, doesn't care your religion, your race, what language you speak, how much money you have, it doesn't matter. But all of a sudden, if you look at it that way, you become a victim of everything that, that happens bad, right? Oh, it happened to me because of this. No, it happens to everybody. And it might happen to different people at different times, at different severities, but the reality is life happens whether you want it to or not. So the sooner you can sit there and say, you know what, it is what it is. And guess what, that person's got problems and so does that person mm -hmm. and that person and that person. So the sooner I can come to terms with my own reality, the sooner I can say, hey, this is what it is. I'm not gonna let this take me down. The sooner I have acceptance, the sooner I have forgiveness, the sooner I can look back on that and say, you know what, here's what I'm gonna take from it. Rock on, I'm out. Yeah. And I'm gonna keep moving, I'm gonna keep on keeping on. Yeah. And right, so at that moment, that was my moment. Mm. Here I am. This is my reality, whether I like it or not. And I'm gonna take this, and I'm gonna find something. Because if I don't, then this eats you. You're gonna be bitter, you're gonna be you're resentful. Bitter. Yeah. But if you can take that and just find something of why did I go through this, why did life put me through this, then all of a sudden, you can deal with it. Yeah. At least for me. And so, you ready wow. for this? So my daughter's now born. She comes out, they put her on my wife. My daughter's hand just brushed her face. I got everything on video, it's insane. Oh my gosh. And then they hand her to me. I would lose it. And I turned around, and I had about five seconds where everything stopped. It was the moment that time stood still for me. And the beeping, the chaos, everything stopped. Wow. And I looked at her, and I just said, hey, You'll forever be able to have lunch with your daddy. Oh my gosh. And you'll never look at me the way I looked at him. Oh my gosh, man. That was the first thing I ever told my daughter. Oh my gosh. That's and that, that meant so much more to me. You know, if people read that, it just sounds, okay, you can have lunch with your dad. Mm. But that put my entire life's journey into one sentence of what that means to me. And um, being a dad's the coolest thing in the world, man. Wow. It's the coolest thing in the world. Do you wish you'd been a dad sooner? Yes and no. <laughs> it's the right I enjoyed time. my 20s. It's the right time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what it is? Right time and right person. You need the right person. You need the right person. And for, for more, than, more than one reason. So, you know, the reality is I was married, divorced, and then uh, I got remarried to just an amazing woman. And look, I've been there, done that, right? So as you get into this journey, you, you reevaluate people. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, if this doesn't really work out, I'm not going into it like that, but things happen. I got a great woman who's gonna be an amazing mom. Mm -hmm. if, right. I, if I die. If it doesn't work out, if we don't work out, and, and, and I can trust that she's yeah. gonna be a great mom. And now that doesn't mean divorce. That doesn't mean, it, it could be death. It could be, there's a lot of things that can happen in this Injury, world. Injury, whatever, yeah. I can be paralyzed forever. Like, yeah. I, you don't know. You don't know what life's gonna throw at you, right? Because life happens, mm -hmm. it's just the way it is. But I know that I got an amazing woman that is gonna be the greatest mom in the world that I love more than anything. Let's roll. That's, that's Let's roll. Yeah. What that's was the cool. biggest lesson that you learned from your dad? growing up, and then what was the biggest lesson you learned when he was gone, when he was in prison? Wow. 
when, when you're single and when you're alone, your decisions affect a lot less people. Mm-hmm. What you do has consequences, but it's gonna affect a smaller circle. Well, all of a sudden, when you get married and you have kids, that circle just magnified and became a lot more impressionable. And now your actions can really affect people's lives that are a piece of you, that are a part of you, that are a breathing piece of you. I learned that. That when you're a part of that, it's time to put the big boy pants on. Because maybe what you think is best for you and it's not best for your family, well, it's time to do what's best for your family. Mm -hmm. And it's time to really think about your decisions. Because now I don't answer just to my wife and to myself. Now I have a little girl. I don't have a son yet, but I sit back and go, okay, if I had a son, how would things be different with how I would raise him? But now I have a little girl and I'm not perfect. I think I still kind of have side effects from the open heart surgery, which, you know, we'll get into that. Uh, There's emotional and hormone and all this stuff and meds and stuff. So, but I, I try to say, okay, she's observing how I am treating her mom. Mm, every moment. Every moment. Even if she's six months old, she's still she's feeling the energy. Yeah. And whatever happens in this house is going to be what she's going to expect in a relationship. Mm-hmm. If it's going south, then don't be shocked if she gets an abusive relationship and just thinks it's normal and it's okay. And then she becomes just not the happy person she deserves to be. Yeah. So having a daughter is about dating your wife and dating your daughter. And... Look, I get frustrated at times, right? Everybody argues at times. You know, having a baby is stressful. You know, it's just, yeah, and it just so happens that like the the small window of time that we had my child is literally the busiest time of my career. And it's like, the book came out and it's just like, a lot's going on. And so we've been trying to manage that. And so it's been frustrating, lack of sleep and all that. But, But aside from that, right? It's, who do I want my daughter to marry? And it should be a man like me. And if it's not, then what do I need to change? Wow. And that's kind of how I try and go about. And again, I, I, look, I, I sometimes lose my temper and stuff, mm-hmm. right? But when you sit back, it's, it's, a, it's a life journey of, of soothing our own souls and finding peace and, and trying to influence this kid in a way that she's never been influenced before, you know? So, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so how long were you playing in the NFL for? So I was going into my 15th. 15 seasons yeah. with, with the same team. So I did Buffalo for two, okay. Tennessee for a year and a half, uh-huh. and then Philly picked me up second half of the season. So I was uh, in Philly 11 and a half, 12, and then I got traded in New Orleans. And so, so let me tell you this. So I, I'm in Philly, right? I get there. And uh, long story short, you never know how you treat people. And well, you, you know how you treat people, but you never know who you're going to come across that's gonna make a huge difference in your life. Uh-huh. So don't burn a bridge, no, right? No. And just just be cool, be yeah. nice. So I go to Texas. Hard Tex- to do sometimes. It is, it is. So I go to Texas, El Paso, and I, I just try and I conduct You kind myself. of like fake your way in, in a sense. Okay, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Well, like- okay, so here's what happens, right? So <laughs> I, I, think, I think I'm a pretty good high school player, yeah, right? Yeah. I lead the league in tackles, right? Didn't even make all league. Yeah. I was so mad. That's, I was so mad, So dude. pissed. So mad. I lead the league in tackles and you don't make all I remember league. my backup got second team. And what? I'm, and I'm like, the backup? Yeah. How's that possible? Thank you. A little bitter, okay? I was a little, little upset at that. So I, 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 okay, all these junior colleges are saying, hey, come play, come play. And you had Long Beach City and Palomar and all these you know, 150 guys out there, but they're good. Yeah, they're good. But I remember going, man, if, if I go here, you know, I, I played for a guy named Bill Simpson. I played with his son, Jason. Bill played for nine years in the league. He was our coach. Amazing. I'll never forget, he said this. If you play, they'll find you. If you're sitting on the bench, you're never going to be seen, kid. Mm. So I was like, go play somewhere. 
Go, just get on the field. If you're not on the field, you ain't gonna go nowhere. You're going nowhere. So Golden West Junior College. It's where my, my buddy Paul Tessier, we put high school together. He's one of my best friends. He went there. They're 0-30. Okay, now I remember this. Get on the field, though. If I can't <laughs> play playing. here, if I can't play here, hang it up. Wow. We were the bad news bears. And so <laughs> I, I went there, and we went 0-10. So 0-40. So we became the longest losing streak in college football history that I was a part oh of. Right? Something to hang your hat on a record yeah, nonetheless. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, I'm academically eligible to transfer out as a sophomore. And I'm not really getting any looks. And I, and I put the film on. I thought I played really well. Like, uh, you know, def- I was a defensive guy. Um, I was really good at, like, open field tackles and covering receivers. And I was never the hard hitter. I was never, like, the super uber physical guy. Yeah. But I'd make tackles. I'd get in there. I'd, I'd made, I just found a way to make plays. Yeah. And uh, nothing. You know, I, I guess not a, lot of, not a lot of coaches are going to own 40 schools, right? <laughs> they just kind of, like, drive right by you. Yeah. So I, I said, hey, let me get some game film, put a highlight tape together, and I'm going send to it, send it out and send it to my, my buddy Paul Tessier at UTEP. You know? So I'm making my highlight tape. It's good. Like, look, I had good, good clips on there. Yeah. I had some footage of me snapping in high school, so I put that on there. And then all of a sudden, I was like, man, Nick Heinley, this a teammate of mine. We're both white guys, both looked the same. I was 47, he was 48. Mm. This is before the internet and HD cameras, so everything's grainy, so like. Yeah, you know, no. Yeah. <laughs> right? And we rotated positions, so it's the same position on the field. Yeah. Right? So I, he, he literally. He de- was a long snapper, too. No, 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 he was a linebacker. He destroyed people. Like, he, he had three hits that I remember he knocked the dude out and he knocked himself out. Like, when I say I don't think I've ever been a part of a just straight-up harder hitter, I just took his huge hits. No so, way. You put it on your game film. A couple. That's yeah. amazing. So it's like me being, like, the finesse guy and just making plays, and then all of a sudden just, like, Ooh. crushing hits. It's like, dude, this guy's amazing. Wow. And then I was like, man, I haven't snapped in a while. Tess said they need a snapper. Dude, this guy, Tim Thurman, he was our 6'6 long snapper. He was better then than I ever was. And so he ended up going to Cal Berkeley, I think, to play baseball. He was better then yeah. as a long snapper than you were in the NFL. Probably. Oh, yeah, dude. This guy... 6'6", six, six, money every time. Why didn't he go play in the NFL? He picked baseball. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know? So I took some of his snapping. And it's like literally the greatest highlight tape ever known to mankind, right? So UTEP gets and goes, this guy's unbelievable. Yeah, we'll give you a full scholarship. We need a snapper. <laughs> and my buddy Paul's like, yep, let's go. And so I went there, passed the test. You know, it was all good. Struggled a little bit, you know, figured it out. Because now that I got the scholarship, now I'm going to really have to hone this skill. Like, look, I was good. But I wasn't great. You were okay long snapper. I was better than what was out there. Right, right. But at the time, is not nearly the standard that not it is D1 today. D1 level, yeah, yeah. No. But I, I knew I was D1 level. Well, I thought I was D1 level. Now, here's the secret. Yeah, you thought. Well, here, here's really my motive, okay? And people laugh at this, but this is the honest guy truth. I said this before. I want to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. I, I did. I just want to be a rock star. The energy is insane. So I had opportunities to play baseball. And I went and saw a buddy of mine who was at Long Beach State. And I just remember sitting at practice going, oh, So my gosh. boring and slow. Five hours Can't sitting in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. So I wanted the energy of, of football. And I told myself, my goal was I wanted to play in front of 100,000 people. How do I do it? Mm. College football. College football, man. So I went to UTEP. We were good the first year. One of my first games was at Oklahoma, 98,612 or 602 people. That's crazy. I was, I was 2,000 short. Yeah. But I remember going out going 98,600 and change. Okay, we're almost there. <laughs> Got to go play with the Buckeyes, man. Yeah, yeah, we're almost there. Yeah, right? So I played at UTEP. Everything went good. <clears throat> and then I, I got an agent. And uh, well, a buddy of mine went to the Tennessee Titans. And he said, hey, man, you, you can snap in this league. Wow. So like, use my agent. He's amazing. I go, cool, done. So I'll never forget, a, a team called and said, hey, we're gonna give, we want to give Dornboss 50 grand. I didn't get drafted, so I was a free agent. We want to give Dornboss 50 grand up front. Come, you know, come play for us. Right. My agent calls me and says. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You just got an offer of 50 grand for a free agent snapper back in early 2000s. I was like, this is legit, but I wouldn't take it if I were you. I'm like, what? What, what do you mean? He goes, the Buffalo Bills are going to give you three grand, and you should take that. Why? I go, Ken, what, what are you talking about? Because you'll play there. He goes, because if you go to Buffalo, it's your job to lose. If you go to this other team, they're not getting rid of their guy. You're going to be the camp body, get him through the preseason so the guy doesn't get hurt, and then they're going to cut you. Mm-hmm. And to them, that's worth 50 grand. Wow. So to not lose their best, to not lose their, to not lose the guy that's been there forever. That's honestly one of the greatest that's ever played that position, right? But I didn't at the time. You're not processing that, right? Yeah. So he goes, take the three grand, be happy, and just it's your job. There's no other snapper in camp. So if you get the, it, if you fail, don't mess up, don't, don't mess up, get hurt. Yeah, don't get hurt. Okay. <laughs> so I signed for three grand. It was like seventeen hundred bucks after taxes, right? So I took some of the guys from UTEP. We went down to the Stampede. Got some beers. Like right an idiot, I put like fifteen hundred bucks on the freaking cake barkeep. Can these guys drink all night? Sure can. Wow. So then the, you know, the next morning, I'm like, that was so stupid. It was so fun. Now I've got like 200 bucks. <laughs> but my buddies are happy, right? Yeah. So then I yeah, played in Buffalo, then Tennessee, and then uh, in Philly. And, uh, you know, it was funny. So when, when I got to Philly, that's kind of when I was figuring out who I was as a player. Mm-hmm. And it all comes back to this moment, right? Don't burn bridges, right? Because you never know. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tennessee, uh, uh, I filled in for a guy that got hurt. And so he got healthy, and then they released me. So the guy in, in Philadelphia breaks his neck, Mike Bartram. Great snapper. Breaks his neck, career injury, he's fine, but they needed a snapper. So it was me and three other guys. One guy's Adam Johnson. He was at University of Buffalo, and I mentored him when I was with the Bills. Mm. He was a long snapper. So I remember seeing him going, you gotta be shitting me. Wow. Like, I can't lose. To this guy that I was To this guy coaching. that like, yeah. I kind of helped out. John Kondo, great snapper, and me. So all of a sudden, we do some snaps, we do the drill. Andy Reid comes walking out. Big red. First time I'd seen him. Guy's a legend. Dorn boss, come here. Yeah. And he kind of, he would look straight ahead and he would just move his eyes when he'd look at you. Like I'd be here and he'd, he'd be like this, flicking his pen and he, all of a sudden his eyes would just move and he'd look at you. Really? Bob Stoll called me, said, you're my guy. So Bob Stoll was the athletic director at UTEP. Bob Stoll gave Andy Reid his first big college coaching job and they coached at UTEP back, back in the heyday. So when I was at UTEP, I just remember anytime somebody asked me to do something, I always did it magic, just events. It didn't matter because I was just so happy to be a part of family. Yeah. So for me, sports was family. And coming from where I came from, I had a family that was kind of destroyed. And so now every team I'd been on, I just family, had this yeah. sense of loyalty that was just far superior than anything I'd ever felt because that became my family. And I, I remember that my entire career, I always wanted the guy that gave me the opportunity to look back and say, I don't care if I could have had Michael Jordan on my basketball team. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I picked you. Wow because of the way you conduct yourself showing up on time, because of the process, the preparation, because in the, the hustle, moment, the effort, every, yeah. everything. I just wanted that person to be proud that they gave me a chance because I was a little undersized, you know, a little slow. I just want to make that guy proud. Yeah. And maybe that was also the lack of having a dad to make proud. Mm-hmm. That these people became this father figure that I just wanted to make proud. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so Andy Reid said, you're my guy. You're my guy. Bob Stoll said, you're my guy. And I'm like, Bob Stoll? It'd been years. Oh, my gosh. So he called Reid? He said, hey, we got a UTEP kid. He goes, coach, he's a magician. And I promise you, it'll be the best thing that's ever happened in your locker room. No way. And he told me. Because he's going to connect with the team. He's going to. 
you'll never have another kid like Tornboss. So Andy said, you're my guy, but I'm gonna tell you right now. You wanna be here? You're here. You wanna lift weights? Lift weights. You wanna run? Run. You wanna work out? Great. You wanna study? Study. If you don't, don't. But if it ain't there on Sunday, you're fired. Wow. And I was like, coach, you and I are gonna get along. I'm going home. I'll see you at practice. <laughs> and from that moment on, Andy and I were tight. He'd bring me in his office, I'd do a trick or two, and like, and, and I was always a locker room guy. Yeah. I was always a people guy, like I, you know, and so what ended up happening is I always wanted to make the guy that hired me proud, the owner, and, and Andy, guys that gave me opportunities when other people didn't. I just wanted them to look back years down the road and say, it was, I a, made, good, it was a good choice. It yeah. was a good choice. And uh, I remember I played through broken bones, torn ligaments, yeah. migraines, I mean, you name it, I've played through uh, four hernias. I've played through it all. And so uh, next thing you know, I find out that I'm in line to, to break a record. And I'm like, I never what thought, record? what record, right? And so I'm gonna go back. When you ask players, what's your, what's your goal? You get all different answers. I wanna win a Super Bowl. I wanna be in the Pro Bowl. I wanna sign the, the, for the most money ever at my position, right? Everybody's got different personal goals that, or records that they wanna achieve. I remember looking around the locker room and I got to play with a guy named Drew Bledsoe who for me was like the man, right? London Fletcher. I got, you know, and then I go to Philly and it's Westbrook and Fletcher Trotter, is now, all, all these guys. London Fletcher was a D3 guy. I played, yeah. I played yeah. in the same league as him. Beast. Yeah. I had a locker next to London Fletcher my, my first two years. It's funny, I went to a, a pro day at Buffalo after college and he was there training like in the off season. And it was like, I don't know, a hundred of us receivers. What, what year is this? 2006. Killer. Yeah, 2006. I don't know, were you there then? No. No, I was in Tennessee. Yeah, and he was like the only guy on the team there. It was just like a, you know, a pro day for receivers, but he was doing drills outside. And I remember being like, yeah, that's, that's respect. That's like a D3 attitude. It's like, it is. no one cares about me. He went to John Carroll, I think. Yep. It was a so, capital, so. So let me tell you a London Fletcher story that re- resonated with me from that moment on. Mm-hmm. We're struggling on special teams. He's our starting middle linebacker, never missed a game, who's a B superstar at the time. He's in his prime. He walks into the special teams meeting, looks, and, and back then it was the old school wedge. Five guys, uh-huh. runner behind it, and yeah. just pounding. <laughs> and, then, and then we had a guy named Sam Gash, who was an old school, hard-nosed fullback who just loved to hit people, right? They, they don't have those anymore. No. So all of a sudden, London Fletcher walks in, and Sam Gash is behind him. He looks at the two guys that set the wedge and said, you two, get out. He ain't getting the job done, get out. I'm here to win. Wow. Sits down and says, coach, I'll set the wedge. Oh my God. Now, in the NFL, a lot of big time starters don't want to play special teams. Hell no. One, because it's really tiring, your injury rate's high, yeah. and it's not exactly the, the sexiest, glorious position. But here comes a superstar saying, hey, you I'll two, set the wedge. get out. I'm gonna set the wedge, which is probably the worst thing to do. The worst thing. It's, it's the worst. It's, it's headache, neck, every freaking shoulder. Worst. I tore AC joints, and all. yeah. So what happens? Sam Gash, who's another superstar, him and London Fletcher say they're gonna set the wedge. We got a guy named Terrence McGee as our returner. First game back, they set the wedge. London takes out two dudes. Sam Gash hits a guy that just goes completely out. Terrence McGee (laughs) takes it to the house. Wow. I'll never forget Sam Gash standing over the dude, looking at him as he's just laying there. And he looks at our sideline, he looks at their sideline, and he just goes, trainer, (laughs) and walks off the field, looks at the two dudes that they kicked off the the, the, the special teams play, and he goes, that's how you do it. Oh my gosh, that's and money. I was just like, that's like a baller move. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Studs. But as rookies, what that instills is it doesn't matter who you are. Uh-huh. The job's gotta get done. And either A, you're a guy that gets the job done no matter what, or B, you're not. And there is no excuses in between. It is either get it done 
or you don't. Get off the field. Get off the field. Now, so here's what happens. So now, so, so in the NFL, you get fined for everything, right? If you're late to a meeting, it's a fine. If you're late to this, 14 grand. If your jersey untucks, you got three plays to turn it in, 25 yeah. grand. Everything gets fined. But I get it. You either have total discipline or you have no discipline. Yeah. You turn on the game and it's a very clean game, right? Because they enforce that. But now I've, I've had all these years where it's ingrained. You either get it done or you don't. There is no in between. Are you a guy or a woman that gets it done? Or do you not? Mm-hmm. I don't care what the excuse is. I don't care what's going on. It doesn't matter. Get it done. And then if you're late, I'm going to fine you because it's the only way that's going to affect you. Oh, what am I going to not play you? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's the only thing that truly affects people's quality of life. Yeah. It's, it's, and the more you get fined, if you're getting fined 100 grand and being late, you're going to show up. Oh, you show up real quick. Real quick. Real quick. You're never late again. Are people ever late? No. Very rare. We, we had one guy that missed a team flight, and we were playing, uh, and I was in Philly. And you miss a team flight. Now, check this out. You're fine for missing the team flight. You're fine for missing the team bus from the flight to the, to the hotel. You're fine for not checking into the hotel on time. You're probably going to be fine because you didn't make the yeah, meeting. Yeah. yeah, like you're fine, right? So that could be a $150,000 fine. No way. Oh, easy. Dude, this dude got in his car and drove from Philly to New England and literally made it to the team meeting. He was like, I'm not getting late. <laughs> Find me for the flight. Yeah, yeah. But I ain't missing, right? So, wow. But now what happens is you, you, you're like you're ingrained on, on, on schedule and, and on, on a certain discipline and a certain way of thinking and you become very result orientated and you become very uh, punctual and on time. Yeah. Well, then you get out of the game and you get in the real world. We're like, eh, 15, 20 minutes late. Yeah, yeah. Eh, it's really not going to be. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Like, it drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Or it's just like, hey, can you get this done? Yeah, yeah, I got you. And then it doesn't get done. You're like, you said I, I don't understand. Like, why didn't yeah. it get done? Like, That's why well, they're not professional athletes. Well, because this is... No, that doesn't matter. Like it, it didn't get like it drives me nuts, and and that's it's just something that I gotta just adjust to, mm-hmm. you know. But like it, so so here's what happens. So I'm looking at, at Bledsoe in London, and then I, I go over to Tennessee, and, and I played with all these other guys, and I, I start realizing what is my goal? Like what is my? If somebody says, "Hey, what's your goal?" The long snapper. Yeah, what's Maybe. your goal? And I was like, you know what? I want to be the oldest guy in the team. Mm. I think that'd be a pretty good goal. Mm-hmm. Because that means, A, I've got the most opportunity to win a Super Bowl. I've got the most opportunity to make a Pro Bowl. And I've got the most opportunity to make a living. Mm-hmm. And that means that the guy that brought me here thought I was good enough to keep me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that meant more to me than anything, than the Super Bowl, than the money, than, the, yeah. than anything. It was the respect of you come up on time, you show up ready to work, you do whatever it takes. And you know what? It might not always look pretty, but I know for a fact that when I put you in, you're getting the job done. When I call 46, yeah. the job's done. Yeah. And so what happens? I'm playing in Philly. Hey, John, you know you're pretty close to breaking a record, right? Oh, yeah, what's that? You're going to play in the most consecutive games ever played as an Eagle. Huh? Excuse me? <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, you're like, you know, this season, you're going to break it. And then all of a sudden, I started to reflect back on what it took to do that and what I thought about that. And there were defining moments that I'll never forget and why I did what I did, not to break a record, but because a reporter asked me, he goes, dude, how did you play through this injury? So what ended up happening is I, I got rolled up on and uh, tore ligaments in my ankle, blew up, doctor said eight weeks, you're out. And this was at the beginning of the season, it was week four. And Andy Reid came to me and said, I'm not gonna put you on IR. This is in 2008, I'm not gonna put you on IR because if we make the playoffs, I want you in the playoffs. So you're basically gonna be on the active roster for eight weeks and- Injured. Injured. And I'm like, okay, so then I, I step out, I go in the locker room, and I looked at some of my teammates that were good buddies. Oh, wait a minute. If I'm on the active roster, that means one of these guys is getting fired because they got a clear roster spot to bring in another snapper to fill in for me. 
well, dude, that dude's got kids. Ooh. That guy's been bouncing around. This guy his whole life, this is all he's ever wanted. Now he's got it. And these are the dudes that are on the bubble that are going to get cut. So I went into Andy Reid's office on crutches. I say, hey, coach, I'm playing. Huh? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I said, just give me till Friday. Wow. Bring in a guy, do whatever you got to do, but don't, don't sign him. Just give me till Friday. So I told Rick, the trainer, I'm like, Rick, we're playing. Huh? <laughs> I go, Rick, we're playing. And he goes, I freaking love it, Thornboss. <laughs> so I, I, like, slept at the facility for a week, right? Three hours on, three hours off. Yeah. So Friday comes. And, like, every, like the trainers are looking at me like, dude, you're freaking nuts, right? We tape it up. I go on the field, and I hobble, jog run from one side of the field to the next. Warm-ups? Just, just, yeah, to feel let's out, just see yeah. if you can walk. <laughs> and so I, I, I do this, right? You're like galloping down, right? But I make it to the other side. I turn around, and I make it back. And I see Big Red in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the window, uh, you know, overlooking, kind of like this, overlooking the field. And I just go. So he, so he walks away, and I'm like. <laughs> so I look at Rick. I go, I'm playing, man. I ended up, you know, back then, you know, you could take a few shots and, yeah, and yeah. you know, just do whatever you got to do. I wrapped it up. And so now I'm going out to pregame. And I'll never forget this, man. Coach Cully looks at me and goes, Dornbosch, just snap it and get off the field. I said, F you, coach. We're snapping a game winner. I'm making a solo tackle. <laughs> and he just looked at me like, you're an idiot, right? And so now we're doing pregame. And now the Giants have all their guys walking around me, just following me, yeah. seeing if I'm going to limp, right? Because you got to report the injuries. And they're like, if he's got a weakness, just spear him in the ankle first play. Oh, my gosh. Take him out. They don't have a snapper. Right, so I did everything in my power to not limp or show any pain in pregame. Oh my gosh! And I did it. And I remember the third warm-up snap I had. I freaking did a dead sprint to the other side of the field. Shut and I cried up. the entire way. I was in pain. Just like, I was in so much pain. <gasps> but that was my moment. And and Coach Quinn stopped following me. Wow. Because he was like, oh well, shit. This guy's got. It. He's got it. He's fine. And dude, it was the most painful thing I've ever done in my life. So what happens? First punt, snap it, solo run play. down, solo tackle. <laughs> I run by Coach Coley. What happens? About a eh, minute and a half, two minutes left. We're down by one or two. What do we do? We snap a field goal. Wow. Go you snap the field goal. Go up by one or two, end up being the game winner. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. So, it's crazy, right? And so, but now after, it was after the game that I realized that those dudes came up to me and said, thanks, Dornboss, the guys that were going to get cut. Wow. And for me, That's playing cool. wasn't about a record. It was about me being a part of that family and me having those guys look at me and say, you were the right pick. Wow. And there's nobody else I want out there but you. That's amazing. And that, that's, deep, like, that's a deep personal feeling of, of, I don't know if it's validation for ego as much as it is pride, mm -hmm. as much as it is respect versus ego. It's, it's like, I want these guys to respect me, yeah. to know that when, when shit gets really hard, there is nobody else they want in there except me. For It doesn't matter. He'll get it done. Coach, mm -hmm. this guy's going to get it done. If he says he can get in and play, he'll do he'll it. He'll do it. And so, you know, when that came up, I kind of reflected on all these things that I did and that I'd played through. And I was like, man, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna break a record. Wait a minute. And sure enough, I looked at the roster and I was the oldest guy on the team. No way. And I said, get out of here. That's crazy. For about two weeks. And then we signed punter Donnie Jones and he was like a week <laughs> older than me. Yeah. So then the game comes. It's, it's game 162. So now they- Consecutive games. 162 consecutive uh, season games. That doesn't include playoffs. And so I, I played more. So funny, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to congratulate John Dornboss on tying the great Harold Carmichael for the Sorry. most consecutive games in Eagles history. So like an idiot, I run out there. Hey, yeah, yeah. Very next play. <clears throat> this hits the top of a helmet, wrist explodes. Oh. Dislocate the middle lunate bone no. toward every ligament. And yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, so I've had three show. I've had three surgeries, but I I tied. Oh no. <laughs> that's like worse than this. I tied. <laughs> I made it over 11 years straight, played through everything. This right here, 
literally was impossible. Like, you I had an artery damage. Yeah, that's what you're snapping with. Yeah. So this thing was, it was done, but... Uh, At least you got out there on the field. Yeah. Man. And you know what happened in the, in, in the uh, ambulance to the uh, hospital? Because I, I had artery damage, so I was losing feeling and, and blood in my hand. So I had to go into emergency surgery to get the artery because the bone oh. dislocated and flipped over oh. and pinched the nerve and artery, right? So long story short, I'm in the ambulance. I remember going, you know what? Harold's a pretty cool dude. He's the guy that had the record. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If I broke this record, he'd probably stop showing up for lunch on Fridays. So I text him, hey, man. There's nobody else I'd rather share this record than you. Mm, that's cool. I'd rather share it with you than not. Than be alone. Yeah. So just so you know, clearly I did this intentionally just to save face for you. <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. keep showing up. So you keep showing up. I want to ask you about, um, this is amazing stuff, man. We didn't even go into the heart. That's what I was going to ask you right now. Are you so, ready for this? So why this is get, hardcore, so you man. Got trade, why would they trade you? Okay, here we go. So I do America's Got Talent. Yes. Okay, and now I become a finalist. And I didn't look at it at the time, but the Eagles got amazing publicity for it. I'm like, sure. It was a win-win for everybody. Huge. Huge. And I thought that I was representing the NFL in a positive way. And so I go back to training camp. I, I do this. Excuse me. I come back. And I'm like, I feel like I'm Mr. Eagle, right? Most consecutive games. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Hey, John, we want to trade you. What? Why? Huh? You so, just showed up through injury, like, through all this stuff. America's got talent. Yeah, I'm Mr. Eagle. Like, you can't trade me, you know? And... uh they said, well, and there was a younger kid that, was, that they brought in to compete against me. Now, look, I'm 37 at the time, right? This kid's 23. Yeah. Stud. 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 Fast. Youth. Snapped up. Just youth. Crisp. Lean. Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> bouncing Tall. right back, you know? <laughs> I just saw myself 15 years ago, right? Uh-huh. Basically, the special teams coach wanted to go younger, and it was just, it was time. And so the GM comes up to me, and he says, hey, so we want to trade you. And honestly, I think he thought I was going to get really upset. And at first, I was shocked. And then I, what? Uh, yeah, but then I went, wait a minute. Did you just say you're going to trade me? He goes, yeah, we've had some inquiries. Inquiries? In the history of the NFL, has there ever been a long snapper traded for? And he goes, actually, no, I, I don't think so. So I'm the first long snapper to ever get traded for a draft pick? <laughs> Do it. I'm out. If this is my reality, but again, it comes back to this. If this is my reality, does it really matter if I agree or not? No. No. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So you better, you, better, you better come to peace with it and, make the and find the positive. Wow. So the owner calls me. Hey, John, if you don't want to go, I'll ix this trade. You'll be an Eagle retired forever. You'll retire an Eagle. And I remember saying, Jeff, I just, you know what? I'm going to let go of the need to be right. I'm going to let go of ego. It's time. I'm okay with it. Shake my hand. I love you. I'll do whatever you need for life. You gave me 11 great years. But if life's taken us in a different direction, it's just time. And thank you for, for 11 years. So what happens is I get traded to New Orleans. And so uh, when I get traded to New Orleans, I play in a preseason game the very next day. I do a physical. And they're like, yeah, okay, go down to the hospital, take some tests. Yeah, no problem. I go down to the hospital, take some tests. I come back. I'm getting ready for practice. My phone rings. I pick it up. And, hey, John, this is the surgeon and cardiologist at the Louisiana Hospital. Are you sitting down? I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's up? All right, I'm going to tell you this. You're never playing football ever again. Now, keep in mind, I just signed a three-year extension for more money than I'd ever made. Oh. Okay, I'm 37. I'm, I'm with a team that's wearing all black, so I'm going to look thin. This is great. They're indoors. This is amazing. Drew right? Brees. Drew Brees. Yeah. Really? And he goes, you're never playing football ever again, and you're going to be in emergency open-heart surgery probably in the next 24 to 48 hours. So I need you to just sit there. Don't run. Don't walk fast. Don't drink caffeine. Try not to laugh. Try not to cough. Try not to sneeze. Don't lift anything over five pounds. What? Just sit there. You're just playing a football game. The trainers are literally walking in. So I take my cleats off. And I scraped the mud off of them, off the, off the bottom, because I was getting ready for practice. And which brings up to another really intense thing. Um, when my mom died during the trial, I just started biting my nails like crazy. And I could never stop. Mm-hmm. Never. And 
I'm a fast-paced magician because I was always self-conscious of my hands. I was always self-conscious that when people were looking at my nails, so I was always really fast. Uh-huh. I tried everything, the lacquer. That stuff tastes yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah. I, I would eat that stuff, right? <laughs> and so, uh, but what ended up happening is I, I met my wife and she changed a few things in me that I wanted to change and I don't bite my nails no more. That's, that's cool. You had some peace. Peace. And then all of a sudden I did America's Got Talent and I wanted to do my ballad and it was the first time I did a card trick on camera in front of the world, slow. And for me, it was about showing the world I have nails. That was a big moment for me. That's cool. Right? It's cool. So now all of a sudden I, I, cool. I scrape the mud and I feel it in my nail. And it was cool, right? Take my helmet off, put it in my locker, and I start tearing up. And at that moment, I got upset, and I, I started to be the victim, and I got pissed off. And I was like, dude, this is not how my career's going. My wife, my wife, my life, like, everything's going so good. I'm here in New Orleans, like, I'm happy. This is not happening, right? And you, and you become a victim. And, and all of a sudden, you start creating this narrative that, like, this isn't right, right? Mm-hmm. And you start making excuses. It's not fair. It's not fair. Yeah. So what happens? I see a dude walk by named Drew Brees. And I see his name, Brees. And it took me back. I sit down and I just kind of chuckled because it took me back to 2006 when I first signed with the Eagles and I was in the tunnel. And Joe Santaliquita was a, a reporter from ESPN. He comes up and he goes, John, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, yeah, what's up? I heard that your mom's best friend, Leslie Moore, sang Wind Beneath My Wings at her funeral. Is that right? I'll be honest with you, Joe. Coming in like really deep there, I wasn't really expecting that. <laughs> and I go, yeah, yeah. She actually sang it behind a curtain because she didn't think she could do it in front of everybody at the funeral. It'd be too emotional. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, that was, that was a great memory, you know? And he goes, you don't get it. I go, no, no, Bette Mittler, 80s, 90s, Beaches, Broadway. It's a great song, right? Great song. He goes, last time I checked, uh, the words say, I can fly higher than an eagle because you are the wind beneath my wings. Well, you're an eagle now. You bounced around, kid. We all know it. So I'm just telling you right now, you work hard, you show up, the city's going to love you. And if you get hit too hard, just stand up and open your wings mm. and let the wind take you. Mm. You're going to do great things, kid. I'm pulling for you. And I went, whoa. That's whoa. That's pretty cool. Whoa. So all of a sudden, I'm now sitting, feeling, you know, bitterness, feeling like a victim, feeling like this isn't right, and I'm making every excuse, blaming people, like this isn't cool. And a dude walks by me with the last name Breeze. Mm. And I sat down and I said, you know what? It's time to rewrite the story. Mm. Are you kidding me? Whether you're religious or not, I was traded to New Orleans to be saved by a saint. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. And at the moment when I was at a low, a dude walks by me with the last name Breeze. Mm. And I looked up and I said, I get it, mom. Wow. You just had to take the wind. You know, I had to step out of the wind and catch a breeze. And this breeze saved my life. Oh. So found out I had a, a, a severely leaky valve, which means the heart, uh, blood comes in from the lungs and then it shoots out the top. Well, when my blood was shooting out the top, that valve wasn't closing. So the blood was going back into my heart. Mm. And so what happened is my heart got way too big. Uh, and How then, did they track that? The MRI so, scan or something? No, like? so you take a few breaths. And they hear a murmur uh, on, a, on an on, on a, like on, in their back, or whatever, or their chest. Yeah, the chest. And, and so I never knew it. Like the, the doctor goes, yeah, take three breaths. And you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> so he's he's listening for a drum, and your your heart should sound like this, right? If there's a squish sound, that means that there's blood leaking. Where that squish sound happens is the severity of what it is. So I had a really bad leak in a bad spot, which means that the vein or aorta that leaves the heart it started to blow up like a water balloon. So it should be about the size of a dime or a nickel, and mine was the size of a coke can. So the doctors were like, I'm just telling you right now, you're one hit away from dying. Like if you get hit in the chest, you have a higher chance of that rupturing than not. And if it ruptures, you're dead before you hit the ground. There is no coming back. Did you ever feel any symptoms? Oh yeah, yeah. The doctor goes, you got any symptoms? I'm like, well, what's a symptom? Your back hurts and you're out of breath. 
Doc, have you seen the dudes I'm running around with right Every now? Every day. <laughs> I'm a pudgy white guy. I'm out of breath for the last 25 years. And I'm 37. I get massages five days a week because my back's killing me. Wow. But I thought it was because it was football. Uh-huh. But it was the aneurysm. Yeah. So I, I got traded in New Orleans. It saved my life. I'm so happy it happened. But then it comes back to this. Had I had ego, had I wanted to, to show up wow, in, in, the, in, the, in the Eagles building and look at a coach who, who made the right decision in moving on and signing this other kid, to walk in there and say, I'm here, now what? I die. Mm. Think about that. But instead, sometimes you just sit back and let life happen and just realize that it's okay. And that, that, that was years of these therapies of having, it's, it's my therapist looking at me saying, hey, guess what? I'll probably never see you again. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. Because when something ends, it's okay. Yeah. Something will start. This is crazy, man. I got a few final questions yeah. for you. I could go on for another hour or two. This is amazing. But I want to I wanna wrap this up for people. Imagine... You get to pick the day when it's your last day here. It could be 100 years, could be 50 years. Just imagine you get to pick the day. And you get to achieve every dream you've sought out. You get to see your daughter and your family grow up. You get to be there for everything. You create whatever you want. You create a magical life. But for whatever reason, you've got to take everything with you. All the, your, your work, your books, your media content, like all that stuff goes with you. So no one has access to your information anymore, the content you put out in the world. Mm. But you get to leave behind three things you know to be true to your family, your daughter, friends, the world. Three truths that would be the lessons that you've learned in your life that you would say, hey, these, these are the only three things I could share with you that I know to be true in the I world. Got it. What would you share? Don't hate, don't blame, and just forgive a little more. Mm. If you do that, you'll find happiness. And happiness, to me, that's what life's about. If you find that, what else matters? Real quick, and this might go on for the tangent, uh, a genius convention calls me years ago. Hey, we want you to be a speaker. And I'm like, you sure you got the right guy? Because <laughs> I'm not a genius. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, but you've, you've achieved a lot of very, a lot of amazing things at such a high level simultaneously. Uh, we want to know your thought process. So here's what we want you to do. Will you list your top 100 accomplishments in your life? And then we do this thing and we go in there and we create this chart and we diagram your life into words based on all this. And we can kind of get a sense of, what type of personality you are mm-hmm. and, and what motivates you, right. right? So I wrote my list and I sent it back to him and dude, within two minutes, I got a call. We've never had a list like this. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Most of the time when people, we ask people to list their 100 accomplishments, it's materialistic or job related. The number one thing that you said you're proudest of as an accomplishment is you're happy. Mm. That's cool. Pride, determination, mm-hmm. perseverance, ability to to feel, have emotion, have clarity, to forgive. Like these are the things that I was listing, like all the things that gave me a foundation that I learned throughout my life about, you know, through the therapy, it's these are the things that make all those other things happen, but without this, none of that happens, so why does that matter? Mm-hmm. You, gotta, you gotta have your own ducks in a row, in your own head and in your heart, and then all, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, that's cool. So I would say that, if you want a goal in life, be happy and watch what happens. Wow. Watch what happens. Yeah. The more resentful you are, angry, the less those accomplishments are going to mean something to you also. You don't be able to fill them up with the accomplishments. And you better be real careful with the words that you tell yourself because that right there, how you view yourself, how you talk to yourself, how you look in the mirror and how you perceive yourself, that's the same way you're going to see the world, the same way you're going to talk to the world, and the same thing you're going to get out of the world. Mm. So you better be real careful on the story you tell yourself on how you feel about yourself. Otherwise, what are you going to expect? Yeah. That, and that, and that, that, that can happen 
within ourselves. Mm-hmm. When I was in the hospital, you know, you, you're just sliding, right? Like I could finally stand up. After the surgery? Yeah, after the surgery. So I was in the hospital over 30 days post-surgery. We had some white blood cell issues, hematomas and stuff we had to deal with. I would stand up and I have a suitcase. And it was a suitcase with the tubes that came out of my stomach that was draining the blood and the fluid so it didn't get in my lungs. I'd pick up my suitcase and I'd get the IV and I would slide my feet to the bathroom and it would take me literally two minutes to go like 10 feet, right? And my wife would say, hey, don't close that door, honey. Don't lock that door. And so I thought, okay, okay. So I'd go in the bathroom and I'd shut the door, but I wouldn't close it. And that was my time. And I'd look in the mirror and I'd cry and I'd be like, man, dude, a few days ago, you were a professional athlete and now you can't even walk to the bathroom. Oh my gosh. And I would see, I'd lost 30 pounds, sunken in, looking miserable. And I would have my pity party alone in the bathroom. And at the end of that little pity party, every day, I stood up, I held that suitcase, and it took a lot, but I would hold my head up high. And I looked in the mirror and I told myself, you hold your head up, you be proud, you got this. Mm. Those are the three things I told myself. And sure enough, my wife and I would walk the hallway. And I remember Andy Reid, we were losing, and I sat behind him on a bus, and Andy Reid said, hey, if the captain keeps his cool, the ship keeps his cool. If the captain loses his cool, the ship loses his cool. So all of a sudden, my wife and I would walk around the floors of the hallway because the goal would be make it to the end of the hallway, get your juice box, and then walk back to your bed. And that was like <laughs> a workout. And everybody looked upset. Everybody was staring at everybody. Everybody just looked pissed off. And my wife and I finally realized everybody's just scared. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what's going on. And so my wife looked at me and goes, Andy Reid said, when the captain keeps his cool, the ship keeps his cool. When the captain loses his cool, the ship loses his cool. What do you say we take over the ship? Mm, that's cool. Honey, let's go. So sure enough, we go out the hallway and we start talking to people. She started talking to the, the husbands, the wives, and the brothers and sisters of the people. And then I, I, I'll never forget, I peeked my head in this room and there's this old man just looking like, just beat up. And I peeked my head and I go, hey, you look like shit. <laughs> and he picked his head up because he was not expecting it, right? And I'll never forget, he goes, still look better than you. Oh, that's good. And I go, you want to head down the hallway and get a juice box? <laughs> and he goes, let's go, kid. And so we both have our IVs and we're like sliding our feet, right? Going in slow motion. But we changed mm. that hallway yeah. just by talking and just by bringing in, hey, guys, we're here. Let's make the best of this. That's cool. Let's change the world. Because guess what? The world ain't done with me and ain't done with you. That's true. So let's just figure this out. Dude, I love this, man. This is a crazy story, John. I want to acknowledge you for a moment for your perspective, because you've been through so many different challenges, but you have this mindset and this ability to perceive and retell a story to yourself to find joy and happiness. And I think that's the the biggest lesson for for me is most people don't know how to tell themselves a story about why they're here, why something happened, what their purpose is, what their mission is, but you continue to do that on every stage of life. And I think your adversities really make you a special human being. So I want to acknowledge you for your kindness, your energy, your heart, everything. Um, You've got a book out. What's the book? Where can they get it? One, I appreciate what you just said. Yeah, of course. And that right there is what my book's about, and that's why it's called Life is Magic. Mm -hmm. I'm a magician. I love magic, but the magic's not the trick, right? The magic's in this world. It's in the story that you tell yourself, and it's in how you treat this world. And so I, I believe life is magic. I believe in the signs. I believe that I did... Get, I stepped out of the wind and caught a breeze. Mm. I believe that my mom's necklace did go on a whale and a sea turtle and found its way around the world. I believe all that. Yeah. That's the magic right there. Yeah. So the book's called Life is Magic. That's great. And it's my journey. It's, it's my therapy. It's the, it's the trial. It's the, it's the journal entries. And it's the things I did to find happiness. And I'm proud to say this. I don't have a PhD. I don't have a doctorate. But I've lived. Mm. And if you're somebody out there that's searching to find forgiveness in any part of their life, I, I really hope that, that this will help you. Mm. I love this man. And you're on social media? Yeah, at John Dornboss. No H and John, baby. (laughs) 
And my final question is, what is your definition of greatness? Wow. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Kiss, the famous marketing slogan, keep it simple. Show up. If you show up, it'll happen. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I played with a lot of guys who are a lot more athletic than me. Yeah. A lot better than me, a lot taller, a lot faster. But I told myself, the guy that hires me is going to be proud he picked me. So what do you got to do? You got to show up every day. And what happened is I was on this path. And if you look at this table, here's that path right there. It just glows. And all of a sudden, people start jumping off the path over time. Kids, drugs, failure, it doesn't matter, excuses. I don't care what it is. But if you stay on that path and people are jumping off, guess what happens? You keep showing up. You show up and guess what happens? You become the oldest guy in the team. That's true. And you tie for the record. You want to be great? Just show up. I love that. And watch what happens. John Dornbass. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you. It, man. This is awesome, dude. Rockstar. Appreciate it, brother. My friend, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Such an inspiring human being. I could have listened to him for hours, share his story, and I didn't want it to end, but it was so much there in this interview already that I thought you could get a lot of value out of this. So I hope you really enjoyed it. I hope it impacted you. I hope it touched your life. I hope you got some lessons from this. And life is not easy. Life is going to throw a lot of challenges at you. It's going to constantly challenge you. And it's our responsibility to figure out the best way to react and respond to life's challenges. And in no way is this easy. And in no way are some of these things fair. You know, it's not fair what happened to John and all these different things. But when we can take the moments that are unfair, that are unjust, that hurt us in extreme measures, and we can take those moments and find forgiveness, find the lesson, find acceptance, and we can move into something that's more powerful to heal ourselves, to impact those around us. That's where something magical comes. Not everyone is able to do this all the time. I'm not saying, you know, if something horrible happens to you that you just have a smile the next day and it's all good. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is life can be extremely challenging. And that's why the School of Greatness is something that I've created for myself. For myself to learn these tools, to learn these stories, to learn how to navigate the challenges of things that don't seem fair, the things that you don't want to have happen. But this is what it's all about. We are in this together. I've got your back and I hope you know that. I hope you know you are extremely loved. Even if you don't feel like people support you or understand you or love you, you are extremely loved. You are a unique human being, a one of a kind that will never be recreated. And we need you. The world needs you. And I hope you know that. I am just so grateful for John and I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you. And Nelson Mandela said, when a deep injury is done to us, we never heal until we forgive. Forgiveness is probably one of the most challenging things to learn how to do if you've never done it before. And I am right there with you. It's taken me years to forgive certain moments, certain people, certain experiences, and it's taken years to forgive myself. You're not alone. I've got your back. I love you so very much. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Go, go, go.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is a message for anyone with high LDLC or bad cholesterol who has had or is at risk of having a cardiovascular adverse event. Merck is studying an investigational medication to see whether it may help lower the risk of future cardiovascular adverse events. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death worldwide. And in the United States alone, there are over 73 million people living with high LDLC. To learn about whether you may qualify, visit CoralReefStudies.com now. Again, that is C-O-R-A-L-R-E-E-F-S-T-U-D-I-E-S dot com. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.